0: Check out everything Puro Air has to offer at GetPuroAir.com. That's G-E-T-P-U-R-O-A-I-R.com. One more time for the people in the back, GetPuroAir.com. Well, hello there and welcome back. My name is Stephanie Safarian and you are listening to episode 185 of the Sustainable Minimalist Podcast. On today's show, we are discussing why living small is the epitome of both eco-friendliness and minimalism. Bigger is best, right? Or so we're told. But if you have pressed play on a minimalist podcast, it likely comes as no surprise to you that bigger homes in particular often equate to more stuff, more stress, and more headaches. It's a real conundrum because while many of us revere space, There are countless benefits to be reaped when we live in smaller homes. On today's show, I am speaking with Laura Fenton. Laura is the author of The Little Book of Living Small. You'll hear Laura describe her home in our interview today, but it's important for me to note at the outset that we're not discussing tiny homes today. Instead, we are discussing an incremental approach to intentionally choosing smaller in a home that's maybe fewer square feet than you can afford, perhaps. Laura's here to outline the benefits she experiences every single day from living in a smaller space with her husband and son. Laura, I'm so excited to have you on. How are you? I am fantastic. Thank you for having me on. Well, let's start by you introducing yourself. Tell my listeners who you are, what you do, and more specifically, as it relates to our conversation today, where you live. I
1: am the author of the little book of Living Small, and I'm a mom to a a five-and-a-half-year-old boy. And I have spent my whole career writing, and specifically writing about homes. Before writing my book, I was the lifestyle editor at Parents Magazine for six years. So I've written a lot about family homes in particular. And today, I'm a freelance writer contributing to magazines like Real Simple, and I'm a contributing editor at Food 52. And I'm also working on a second book. So that's my professional life. And then in my personal life, my husband and my son and I live in Jackson Heights, Queens, New York City. We live in a 690 square foot apartment. And we are in a building from the 1940s. Our neighborhood was developed at that time as a planned garden community. So many of the apartment buildings, including ours, are built around a shared central courtyard or garden. So it's a sort of unique neighborhood in that way. And when we first came to look at our apartment and look at apartments in our building when we were you know, looking for a new home, I was pregnant and we were hoping to upgrade to a two-bedroom and after we looked at a few of the two-bedroom apartments in our building, our real estate broker mentioned that she had a one-bedroom on the ground floor that she could show us. And we went, we looked, and we both very quickly saw that what she was calling a one-bedroom to us looked like it could easily be turned into a two-bedroom by turning the small dining alcove into another small bedroom. And that was what we we decided to do. It was a big savings for us to get a one-bedroom instead of a two-bedroom. It meant that we were not stretching our budget. It meant we would have a little extra nest egg left over. And we figured, you know, this would be a fine place for us to start our family six years later, we're still here. (laughs) And it's worked out pretty well to, you know, move into this small space, even when, you know, our family was growing. What I love about your description there is that when people think about living
0: small, their minds tend to go straight to tiny houses Maybe it has wheels. (laughs) Maybe it's in a field (laughs) somewhere. Maybe the master bedroom is really a loft overlooking the kitchen and the 280 square feet or whatever the square footage is for a tiny home. But what I like about your story is that, you know, living small doesn't have to be the tiny home on wheels. Living small can be a one bedroom converted to two-bedroom apartment. And that to me, that story to me makes small living seem much more accessible for the average listener, because I would argue that the vast majority of people listening today have no plans to move to a tiny home. And so I'd love to dive into your apartment, your home a little bit more. I did get to see the square footage online and the layout what do you love most about your space?
1: Well, one of the things we loved about the apartment was that in this building that we're in on the ground floor, we look right out onto our shared communal courtyard. So there's green grass right outside our window. Their neighbor's cherry tree leans over the brick wall into our yard. And so we, we have like a little bit of a feeling of Garden in the middle of New York City, which is nice. The layout really works for us. And part of the reason I had the confidence to, you know, purchase this apartment, even though it was what most people would consider small for, you know, a growing family, was that I had seen another family who had done something similar. And the Way that our apartment is set up, it doesn't feel small being in it. It has a nice flow to it, and the way the rooms open onto each other, it has an openness to it that is nice.
0: And what do your friends and family say when they come over for the first time?
1: I think most people are pleasantly surprised <laughs> by our home. I mean, of all of our friends in our neighborhood, we definitely I think have the smallest apartment of any of the families but you know it is a really inviting place to be and some of the square footage that we don't have is space that people don't really use you know our bedroom is like eight by ten feet and all it has in it is a bed and you know two little tiny bedside table shelves and wall mounted sconces. But our friends, you know, who have much bigger bedrooms, it's not like they're using a lot of that extra square footage. So the square footage we lack is often like the space that's not used in other people's Mm -hmm. homes.
0: I definitely want to talk to you about how you organize your space and make every inch count, because I would assume every inch does matter with a family of three. But before we do that, I want to talk about the reality that living small is the epitome of both eco-friendly living and minimalist living. So I guess let's start with the environmental benefits. What, in your opinion, are some of the environmental benefits associated with living small?
1: I think that the two things are also very intertwined, So, but we can start with the the very straight up looking at your environmental footprint. And choosing to live in a smaller space is one of the most basic things you can do to reduce your carbon footprint. And this is actually one of the reasons I'm passionate about living small. We use less energy to heat, cool, and power smaller homes, and we... Take up fewer resources to build, renovate, furnish, and maintain them. You just naturally consume less when there is less space to fill and maintain and that sort of automatic pairing back in consumption really dovetails with minimalism. Living in a small space in many ways forces you to be more of a minimalist than other people who might have a garage or an attic or both places to squirrel things away. When you're in a small space, you have to apply the principles of minimalism to pretty much everything that comes into your home. The two things are, I think, very intertwined. What I like about your response there is that
0: you make living small seem accessible for a lot of people in a lot of different seasons in their lives i know that you live in new york city perhaps for you and for me and for some listeners listening right now who would love to live in an urban environment but can't afford the top floor three bedroom penthouse I know I live near Boston and I know firsthand what the prices are on those three bedroom penthouses. Living small is a practical way to not only reduce your carbon footprint, but also to enjoy all of the benefits of urban living. Have you experienced that
1: benefit firsthand? Yeah, I mean, you know, part of the reason I live small is because I want to live in New York City, right? I'm choosing to stay here because I love being in the city so much. And the result, you know, especially in a non pandemic time is that city dwellers probably spend a lot less time at home than maybe their suburban counterparts. You know, we're having our play dates in the park. We are spending our weekends getting out of the house rather than being at home. Definitely. Being in a small space, being in an urban space you're you're out exploring the city more often rather than you know being cooped up at home
0: and I'd imagine you perhaps take public transportation, which also lowers your carbon footprint substantially
1: yes i mean we we do own a car, <laughs> but you know most of our daily travel is on the subway on the buses or by foot and that is one of the things about city living that is naturally very sustainable is that you are driving an awful lot less than other people. If I want to go to the grocery store, I walk two blocks to the corner market i 'm not hopping in my car to do that, and the experience of being in the city is you know it's like sustainable in many many ways that you can sort of start to unpack you know, we, by having all of our apartment buildings squashed together, we're using less energy to heat them because we're all sort of insulating each other. There are many ripples of sustainability just by the nature of being in the city.
0: I want to talk to you all about the nuts and bolts, the day-to-day living small with a a five-and-a-half-year-old. We're going to get into all of that after a quick word from this week's sponsor. The Sustainable Minimalist podcast is supported by Real Paper. The average American family uses three rolls of toilet paper per week, but there are big problems with conventional paper. Before it was toilet paper, it was a tree, and standing trees are cut down for our wiping needs every single day. Enter Real Paper, which offers a 100% bamboo solution. I appreciate that real paper is strong, yet soft. And I also love that an entire month's supply arrives at my doorstep in completely plastic free packaging. And as an intentional consumer, I feel good knowing that every roll of real paper purchased helps fund access to clean toilets for those in need. Ordering is as easy as heading to realpaper.com. Choosing how often you want your tree-free toilet paper delivered and entering code SUSTAINABLE at checkout for 25% off your first order. That's R-E-E-L paper.com. And be sure to use code SUSTAINABLE at checkout for 25% off. And we're back with Laura Fenton, author of The Little Book of Living Small, Laura, I really want to talk to you about how you make it work every day, day to day with three people in, I believe it's 650 square feet. Is that right?
1: We're almost 700. We're 690. And one of the things I would say most is that it's a work in progress. We are always tweaking our space and adjusting our systems and, you know, making changes to try and figure out how to make our home, you know, serve us. An example I can give is that I mentioned we turned a very small dining alcove into a second bedroom. When we moved in, that was the baby's nursery. He had his little crib in there. And, you know, of course, we took the bigger main bedroom with the closet. but. Pretty quickly, you know, when he went out of that newborn phase, we realized it was interrupting his sleep to be in the room that was closer to the kitchen and the living room where we were still awake. So we made the decision to give the baby the larger main bedroom and move ourselves into this, you know, like tiny little room (laughs) that we'd originally thought of as, you know, like the baby nursery. And that Shift was not something we'd anticipated, but being flexible and nimble about things like that and being ready to change things up is part of how we you know make it work and continue to work as our needs change
0: that's a great tip being flexible being willing to put the baby in the master bedroom. <laughs> how many of us are willing to do that, really, but I love that idea. I'm imagining that storage can get tight. I have two children. They have a lot of stuff. And I'd assume that your five and a half year old also has a lot of stuff. Kids grow quickly.
1: So how do you store the stuff? Well, we are definitely, this is one way in which we are probably much more minimalist than most people. We really do not buy a lot of stuff. And we have worked very hard as parents to resist trying to solve problems with purchases so our son definitely has fewer things than many of his peers and you know that helps (laughs) to have less to store that's number one number two we've made that same flexibility it applies to our storage too. So even though we gave him the main bedroom, we sure as heck kept that big closet. So all of like my clothes and my husband's clothes are stored in my son's room. Maybe when, you know, he's a little older and wants more privacy, we're gonna have to rethink all that. But the flexibility helps us not feel like, you know, we have to be rigid about what goes where. Likewise, we have a big credenza in our entryway that stores all the stuff that people would normally have in there, like our fancier dishes and some of our entertaining wear. But I also use some of the drawers in that piece to like store our overflow pantry items and the things you know we buy at Costco in bulk that we can't fit into our small-ish kitchen. Some of that overflow will go into like what is sort of our, you know, formal-looking sideboard. So having a little flexibility about what goes where is helpful. I also, something I, I write about in my book, Little Book of Living Small, is this idea that you really need to edit every day. The process of decluttering is not this sort of like big once-in-a-lifetime purge that we see, you know, like on TV or on Instagram, it is like a daily culling of the things that come into our house. Because, you know, even as like an avowed minimalist, it's like there's this constant flow in and you have to really be vigilant about making sure that for everything that's coming in, something else is going out. So there's pretty... Frequent little mini letting goes happening in our life. Um, another, just like really practical thing that we do. My husband and I, our bed is a built as like a captain's bed with storage drawers in the bed. So we have all of our folded clothing stored like in our beds. We don't have to have a dresser. And then in my son's room, we have wooden crates just pushed under his regular twin bed where a lot of his toys get stored. So they are, you know, out of sight until he needs them for playtime and he can take them out.
0: Well, first of all, your response makes me think that our stuff, our clutter, if you will, expands to fill its container. And if you have a smaller container, if you have a smaller home, (laughs) you do have to stay on top of the clutter, of course. But I was just thinking as you were talking that bigger is best when it comes to homes is probably a very American way of thinking. I bet my international listeners listening to our conversation right now are thinking to themselves, 690 square feet isn't all that small.
1: (laughs) Oh, absolutely. (laughs) You know, and I heard that when the book came out, a lot of people said this, this isn't small. You know, different cultures, different places, American ideas of small versus other parts of the world are very different. But still, you know, the average American house that's being built today is, I believe, around 2,500 square feet. And a generation ago, it was closer to 1,200 square feet. Our, Our homes have grown exponentially at the same time that our families are getting smaller. And you're absolutely right. You know, we... When we have the space to fill, there's no reason to be as mindful about what's coming in. And, you know, for me (laughs) living in a a relatively small space, we really have to think about things before purchasing them. There's like a little friction there about where, well, where is it going to go? (laughs) And It gets you to get a little creative. You know, we don't have a folding table for, you know, additional guests for a dinner party. But when I actually wanted to have a dinner party for my mom's birthday, you know, I borrowed one from a friend who lives three blocks away and it would have been really easy for us you know to either like order one on Amazon or drive over to Target to buy one it wouldn't have cost a lot of money and if we had a garage you know it would be no problem to store that folding table so being in the small space like just makes you a little more hesitant to bring something into your life because you're going to have to find a place to put it
0: When my first daughter was born, my husband and I were living in downtown Boston. Our apartment was a little bit bigger than yours. It was 848 square feet, very specific number, 848 square feet. And my husband and I and our new daughter, we had big plans to stay in the city until she was at least five, at least kindergarten age. We hadn't dealt with the school issues yet, but we thought at least five more years here. We lasted a year and a half, That was it. And looking back now, I mean, at the time, it really felt as though we needed to go. (laughs) We needed more space. My daughter had a lot of stuff, a lot of gear, like most children do. But looking back now, I'm thinking to myself, did we really need to go? We loved the city. Or were we just following the script that tends to be fed to us, which is You have kids, you move to the burbs, you buy the what I think you said, 2,500 square foot house. Yeah. And so I wish we stayed a little longer. And I really respect you for doing the opposite of what so many of us are told. (laughs) Well, you know, it's,
1: I'll tell you something about that too. My husband's brother and his wife. They up and left. And when their older daughter was four and they were expecting their second child, they said, forget it, (laughs) we're leaving the city. But one of the things that has made it so easy for us to stay is our community. We are so in love with our neighborhood and our neighbors and have such like a strong community here that like to imagine like leaving that Would be very challenging. Whereas my brother in law and his wife, when they became parents, they quite found that in their neighborhood in the city. Like they didn't find that real sense of like belonging and neighborhood. So I think that some of that urge to like move on to the next place, the next phase, also might be about, you know, looking to. To find community, maybe if you you hadn't found it where you were before. So, you know, we got we got really lucky. Like we we landed in a place that was like a perfect place to be as a young family.
0: What words of encouragement do you have for listeners who are listening right now who either are considering downsizing or are currently living small and may want to resist the push to bigger? What words of encouragement do you have for those of us who May be willing to embrace smaller living.
1: Yeah, and I think those are two interesting places to be: the thinking about downsizing and the wishing to upsize. So, it's quickly, wanting to downsize is, I think, more common later in life. That you know, it's very like empty nester downsizing men, though families do sometimes choose to do it. And downsizing, you know, like that should not happen overnight. (laughs) That should be a process that you, you know, work towards that, you know, starts with some of that process of letting go and decluttering and really starting to think about your needs, what you want, what you want out of your next home and taking that like step by step. And maybe, you know, like test driving, living in a smaller space, maybe on your next vacation, instead of staying in a hotel or renting a big house, maybe you rent a smaller house and see what it's like for your family to live like that for a week. John and Sherry, who are the couple behind Young House Love, recently downsized, and they have talked like a lot about this. Siobhan Gardner, who's a blogger, who's in my book, her family downsized their home by half. It's not a not a do it all at once project. It's definitely something to take step by step and really think through before you make that move. But I think people absolutely will be rewarded by getting rid of if they have more space than they need. But then to the people who are feeling like their home is too small, I would challenge them to, you know, think a little more about that. I think about you saying, you know, like my, my daughter had all this gear, we had to go. And you know, like, I remember that phase when it was like the stroller and the car seat and the bouncy seat and the, all this stuff, like the, the baby gear is a real thing, but that season is actually really short. It comes and then it goes and you know then you you have all that <laughs> space back that all that stuff had so sometimes the season of life that you're in you know stop to like look how much longer that will be my friend who has kids who are older than mine who has a beautiful two bedroom apartment with a garden in brooklyn when her daughter got to be a teenager, she just really did not want to share a room with her little brother anymore. She was just desperate for her own space, but she was going to be moving out of the house in four years, you know, and did that couple want to leave their neighborhood, leave their community, leave their garden, just so like their daughter could have the bedroom she wanted for four years. So, you know, that family, Took a step back and they said, okay, we're gonna, you know, reinvest a little in our apartment to make it work better. And I remember they did custom closets for all of their closets so that they could maximize their storage. and free up some space in like the living spaces of their house. And they built their teenage daughter, her own loft bed in the shared kids' room. So she kind of could have a place where she could retreat and they made it work. And, you know, sure enough, like they're now on the road to being just the two of them, you know, like in in a couple of years, their son's going to graduate from high school too and moving would have solved a very temporary problem for them. So, thinking about the season of life you're in and how much longer it will be is really important. And then to also think about the financial piece of it. One of the reasons we are so happy to stay in our small space is the freedom that it gives us. You know, last year, when the world turned upside down and you know suddenly my husband and I both had much less work than <laughs> you know we would normally have it was okay because we you know didn't have a huge mortgage to pay we've been able to do other things with our money because it's not all going into paying for a bigger home thinking about the finances then might Free people to feel better about investing in the space they're in, even if it is a rental. If you can make an investment in your home that will give you more time there at the lower rent or the lower mortgage payment, that might really benefit you. My sister and her husband, for example, stayed in their one bedroom until their second child was one year old. And, you know, they had a Murphy bed put into their living room so the parents could sleep in the living room at night and, you know, they gave the kids the room. And that was like a pretty big investment in that one bedroom apartment. But when you add up <laughs> all those years of smaller mortgage payments, they really came out ahead. And for them, it was that same thing You know, I've been talking a little bit about like they wanted to stay in their neighborhood. They wanted to stay near their friends and their daycare and all the things that like enriched their life. It made sense for them to stay rather than to move on to the next big thing.
0: Laura, tell us about your book, The Little Book of Living Small. What's it about and where can we find it?
1: So The Little Book of Living Small is all about real people living in small spaces. And this goes back to something you said very early on about feeling refreshed to hear that living small didn't mean living in a tiny house. Part of the reason I wanted to write the book was because almost every book about small spaces that I could find was like sort of extreme. The the small spaces were so small and so tiny and they were fun to look at, but they didn't really give me ideas about how I might live in my space. So I set out to write a book that was about people living in smaller than average places, but not tiny homes. And also people who had all chosen to live in a small space. Most of them were choosing smaller spaces because uh, a place they wanted to be where, you know, that sort of forced them into a smaller space. So that was sort of my criteria was that someone had chosen it. And then I sort of made a rough. I said that one person could have up to like about 400 square feet in my mind. I think I gave two people up to... Maybe, I can't remember what I said for two. <laughs> and then I thought three people, about 300 square feet per person. And then the biggest homes in the book are 1,200 square feet. And there are two families of four in 1,200 square foot homes. So it's it's a little different in that way. It's not tiny houses. And I think another thing that is different about the book is I worked for many years as a magazine editor <laughs> and let me tell you I know about all the styling and propping and tricks that go into making places look, you know, picture perfect for magazines and I didn't want to do that. So what you see in the book is all of these homes, you know, on their best day, of course everybody tidied up and we brought in fresh flowers, but there were no no props, no stylists Nothing, you know, like no tricks going on to show something other than, you know, the reality. And they're stylish people with beautiful homes, but I think that you can feel a little bit that this, a little different from other books in that way. And that it's a little bit more of a glimpse into people's real everyday lives.
0: What I love about your book is that you're normalizing living small in a culture that glorifies big as best, right? And you also mentioned too that, you know, the extreme tiny homes tend to get all the attention. But when we glorify the extreme, we naturally forget about the less extreme, which is probably much more common. Where can listeners find your book?
1: You should be able to get the book wherever books are sold, including all those big booksellers like Barnes and Noble, Amazon, and I love bookshop.org, which is a online bookseller that supports independent bookstores. So any of those places. Well, Laura, I want to thank you so much
0: for coming on the show and offering up your small living inspiration. You've given me so much to think about. Thank you so much. Oh, yes. Thank you so much for
1: having me. It was a wonderful conversation.
0: Listeners, I so hope you enjoyed my conversation with Laura Fenton, author of The Little Book of Living Small. I have linked to Laura and her book in this week's show notes, which you can find at mamaminimalist.com forward slash 185. Now really quick before we say goodbye, a quick little reminder to my Apple podcast listeners. If you listen on Apple podcasts, you can help support the show by leaving it a really quick 30-second review. And by the way, leaving this show a review, as well as all the other shows that you binge on regularly, is a really powerful way to help potential new listeners find the show. I should say my birthday is coming up in two short weeks, and all I want for my birthday is your honest podcast reviews, so thank you so much. If you... Do not listen on Apple Podcasts. Let's be honest, you probably still have an Apple ID somewhere from 2008 when you had your iPod, so you can log in and also leave a review. But if that is too much trouble, it would be a wonderful birthday gift if you could tell a friend about the Sustainable Minimalist Podcast. And thank you so much. I will see you next week. Have an amazing week and take care, my friends.